Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, The Atlantic Magazine had an interesting sort of personal essay by a former president of Harvard University who was talking about how many, many students that are undergrads don't know how to read or write cursive. And it made me realize that, yeah, most of my middle school students also do not know how to read or write cursive. And I would assume that's the same for your students. And here's the best paragraph I read. It was a good book. The students told the 14 others in the undergraduate seminar I was teaching, and it included a number of excellent illustrations, such as photographs of relevant Civil War manuscripts. But, he continued, those weren't very helpful to him because, of course, he couldn't read cursive. Had I heard him correctly? Who else can't read cursive? I asked the class. The answer? About two-thirds. And who can't write it? Even more. What did they do about signatures? They had invented them by combining vestiges of whatever cursive instruction they may have had with creative squiggles and flourishes. Amused by my astonishment, the students offered reflections about the place or absence of handwriting in their lives. Instead of the Civil War past, we found ourselves exploring a different set of historical changes. In my ignorance, I became their pupil as well as a kind of historical artifact, a Rip Van Winkle confronting a transformed world. And Don, this essay just kind of goes on to talk about cursive writing in American history. And now our major changes to society, nobody knows how to do it and nobody's teaching it anymore. What did you think about the essay? It's interesting because it leads to just a lost skill. I mean, how often are we just losing skills? People just don't know how to do this anymore. It's like putting together a film strip or setting up a VCR to tape or dialing a uh, rotary phone. This is just a lost skill. I'm not sure it's one of tremendous value, but certainly for historians, there is value here because they don't have access to these all these historical works. It also kind of reminded me of, it seems like back maybe the 50s, 60s, 70s, Latin instruction happened a lot more in public schools as people thought that was a important, basically dead language to learn. That's gone. And yet cursive is something that you and I sat through. I mean, I remember hour after hour, day after day, year after year in elementary school, working on each individual letter of cursive. How do you connect them? The number of worksheets. I mean, do you remember all of that? Oh, I remember it. And I had a learning disability and poor hand motor skills till I was about 24. So I, uh, I, I, it was a struggle. It was absolutely brutal. I'm kind of bummed that it doesn't happen anymore. The article talked about in 2010, common core standards came out for school districts kind of across the nation. The emphasis was on more reading and writing and not necessarily using the time for cursive instruction. And I guess when I think about it, yeah, we spent a ton of time on that. And I remember being marked down or graded less if my cursive wasn't correct. I mean, remember in middle school when you had to start doing formal writing, formal writing was you had to write your essay in cursive or you were not allowed to submit it. Yeah, absolutely. And it was it's just it was such a stressful thing. Like I didn't think I was good at it and yet it was something that was required. And I remember on the SAT, you had to in cursive write the statement that says like, I will not cheat on this, but it had to be in cursive. And I was like, oh man, in cursive, this is rough. I mean, it seemed unnecessary to me now, but I didn't think of it as the aspect of losing access to information, which some people have now. And he talks about how 
literally he has students that are choosing to not do research on certain subjects because a lot of the primary sources are written in cursive and these students just can't read cursive and they don't want to put the time into learning how to read it. And I thought that was sort of interesting. They also mentioned like students saying that like their parents have to read the birthday cards they get from like their grandparents because they need a translator. These are all like silly things, but yet it does kind of show that like even certain generations of family members that are still alive now can't physically communicate with each other. Yes, it's almost like the, the the second generation immigrant that loses the language and can't really communicate with the grandparents, except for I think there's more value in uh, speaking another language, probably. Well, they mentioned the idea of like the handwritten note. And, I, you know, I've kind of feel like we've gotten away from the handwritten note nowadays in society. However, when you do get a handwritten note, you do kind of get excited about that. And even the author sort of hints at the idea that maybe this will put more value on when you get a handwritten note, like that's a real rarity. What do you think about that? Do you think as a society we've stopped having handwritten notes or now they're just sort of like a combination of printing, cursive, maybe some pictures that people draw? And you think about like when I was younger, my mom and dad used to send out a handwritten note for, for people that had done something nice to them. My buddy BP, his mom was always sending out handwritten notes. He's like, yeah, every morning I'd wake up and there'd be six handwritten notes I'd have to sign for the family because my mom was always sending those out. And in some ways, I feel like we've really decreased that. I guess the text has kind of killed that. Yeah, well, and texting and uh, email and so forth. But yeah, I still get a handwritten note now and again. It's very rarely in cursive. So it is there. But I think it does convey special meaning and more thought than just handing out, just texting somebody. Although, I mean, you, we all know where this is going. It's not going to come back. Right. It probably is dying. And therefore, maybe this is just sort of the final, you know, chance to grieve over a skill that, part of our nation has, and clearly a large portion of our nation is not learning. Are you bummed that your sons didn't learn how to do cursive? Not at all. Although I guess there is some cursive instruction, at least in Rochester schools, like they toss them a few, uh, they toss an hour at it or something like that. And my wife said as an elementary educator, she said that the kids actually love it. They really enjoy learning this new thing. But I think it's because it isn't penalized and graded and whatnot. It's just like, hey, here's something we could do and check, waste some time and cover cover this benchmark or whatever. So uh, I, they do seem to enjoy it. I'm more interested in the processing aspect. So my dad, he learned to think and uh, write cursive. So he wrote his dissertation, which is typed 200 pages, something or other, by longhand in cursive. And then my mom typed it for him. Because he was of a generation where men didn't learn to type because they'd have female secretaries. Mm. Then I learned to write on a computer, partially because my handwriting is so awful. But I was early on in writing a computer because that was my spelling was terrible. My writing was terrible. And if I use a computer, I could spell check it. And so that's how I compose things is I think well and I write while using my computer. But these kids, they don't even really know how to type very well because they don't have typing class anymore. They just throw some internet website where they race a car around a track and try to <laughs> type better. Like they're not very good at typing. So I don't know how they think. I think it's probably by on their phone. And so it leads to an interesting idea. Like 
is how does the brain's composition and the way somebody processes their writing different between longhand, between typing and this new generation, which is knocking away at their phone? I mean, is it really different or is it not different at all? I don't know, but I think that's interesting. I think you bring up a ton of really interesting points there. Uh, first of all, going back to your making fun of these typing games the kids play, I prefer the one where nuclear war is going to happen if you can't type the word fast enough before it crashes into the city. <laughs> but I'm with you on my middle schoolers are terrible at typing, which I guess why have they not brought in some sort of a keyboard extension that is just a phone? Because it seems like they all know how to use their thumbs, but not necessarily the traditional typing thing. So I, I do think that I, I am very much also intrigued by this idea of brain development and cursive essentially is a form of art. And therefore it's a very big, like right brain activity, right? That's where the creativity side comes. And, you know, when you're doing cursive, are you sure that we haven't closed off a lot of our right brain development because we're not asking kids for hours on end to essentially work on fine motor skills and, and trying to, you know, make the lines look a certain way. There's clearly beautiful cursive and not so beautiful cursive, but are we possibly not getting, you know, uh, hand and, and brain working, which then kind of leads me to my other question is, do you think it'd be an interesting study to take the brains of people that grew up learning cursive versus the brains that haven't? And just see what they look like. Uh, would we see a lot more activity in one or would we see the same or would it be too many variables that we couldn't really figure anything out from there? It would be very interesting to see. I mean, there's different age groups and there's also other differences in times. But if we could find the isolate the person that just did cursive, the person that just did uh, typing and the person that just did typing on the phone. I wonder if you did like an fMRI, if you could see which part of the brain is active and whether or not that's creating more, better, or worse connections. That's the thing that's interesting from a psychological aspect is how has this changed the way the human being processes information? I, I would wholeheartedly agree. And it's funny because I carry a legal pad around with me everywhere. And whenever I want to write out my own ideas, I would much rather write them out hand to paper because I feel like I'm actually thinking, engaging, and, and working with it. Whereas... I can type notes on a computer, obviously fast, but I just feel like I'm just typing for the sake of typing. I don't feel like my brain's actually getting something. And it's hard for me to like quantify that or prove it, but I just feel so much more engaged when I'm physically writing. And I guess I wonder like, can you have that same feeling of engagement if you're just typing on a screen? I would like to think no, but therefore that's also just somebody who's got obviously a major bias. Oh, yeah, but you're drawing it out and doing processing it that way. That's what works for you. I, I remember watching my dad do a schedule for his son, me, when I went to college. And he, like, took a piece of paper and he, like, divided it into five sections labeled MTWTHF. And he, like, created the schedule by, by sketching it out. He wasn't using a computer. He wouldn't use a computer for that. That's just the way his brain processes information and thinks it out. And that's something that... Maybe it's not cursive, but it's a different way of graphically presenting your thoughts or putting your thoughts down on paper. I think it's also different to articulate it verbally. You and I as teachers, most of the ideas we're articulating to students is verbal. 
is we're interacting with them and try to craft our words in a way that they can understand. And that's a whole other different ballgame as opposed to writing and trying to articulate on paper or on screen or whatever your ideas. And so it is all very, very different presentations that I think your brain has to process. Well, it's interesting because in a book that really uh, influenced the way I kind of see the world, Amusing Ourselves to Death, and the author's big premise is that TV is is wrecking how society thinks and has discourse. And the book was written back like in the early 80s. Fascinating book in terms of where we are today and what this kind of guy, Neil Postman, was predicting. But he talked about how in the earliest forms of humanity, information was all verbal. There was no writing. And as you were just kind of saying, the way our brains take that information in and the imagination and processing that must have to go with only verbal information and how that must then look when you take it from print form. But now in a world where we live in just images and moving pictures, kind of how our brain takes it in. And I, I do wonder if, does your brain have to work more when it isn't given an image and it therefore has to fill in its own gaps, if you know what I'm saying? Uh, now, the gaps could be totally wrong that you're filling in, but I do wonder if are we maybe not making as deep of an imprint and stuff like that? Yeah, I think it's a different way of processing it. I, I remember when I started coaching track, I was trying to read about how to teach people how to high jump. And I was reading it in basically a giant book of track and field coaching. And then it had a couple pictures. Then I went to a clinic and they had these little flip books. And you could just take it to practice and you could flip through it. And if you flip fast enough, it was a basic animation of a person doing a high jump. It was just a bunch of pictures put together. And then you take that and you go to YouTube and you're like, okay, well, this is how you do it. And you can pause it and go back and forward, back and forward. And it's all very different ways of articulating this idea. But one is certainly easier to access. And maybe the others, the written or the flip book would require more processing or different processing, or maybe it just makes the information inaccessible to people. So maybe the deaths of cursive means more accessibility to more people of learning. And it's a good thing. No, I think you're right. I mean, we learned during the pandemic that a lot of kids can learn off of a two or three minute video, right? And that two or three minute video, if it's well done and succinct with whatever information you're trying to communicate, might be much better than a 60 minute lecture. So therefore, maybe you're right. Maybe just cursive was always something that was very exclusive. The, the author even kind of talks about how it was almost kind of a pastime for the wealthy and well-to-do that had the time to focus on getting an education and stuff like that. Well, if the person is really wants to watch the two minute video, then they can be engaged and learn the thing. Or I think our hour long may provide more context or examples of practice. But regardless, the point is that, yes, it creates this exclusive environment where you have to really have the skills to acquire the knowledge, like going to a Latin mass. I've never been to a Latin mass, but I know there's Latin masses and I have a friend, Rick, who could do the Latin mass as a choir boy. Or not a choir boy. Altar boy. Yeah, that's uh, that's a whole nother exclusive. You ever been to a Catholic Latin mass, Zach? I have been to one or two. And you definitely kind of sit there feeling a little bit confused and, and definitely not in the group, if you know what I'm saying. So you're not a Latin speaker? I am not. I am not. It's another sort of skill that... Um, you know, I obviously am able to get through my day-to-day -day life without knowing, but if I did know it, I guess I'd feel a little bit uh, maybe accomplished, maybe better than others, if you will, maybe a cool parlor trick to bring out. 
at the same time, I don't know, you know, if it's if it's relevant anymore to the mass of our of our nation to know. And maybe that's just kind of where cursive fit in. Yeah, it's just like knowing multiple languages, like all these founders of our country spoke French and English and oftentimes other languages. They knew Latin and could write and all the above. I mean, that's huge. And that provided them with this elitist skill that allowed them to roll in circles that uh, other people couldn't. But that's not really something that we value now. Although I looked at a picture the other day and it's Joe Biden and Xi Jinping walking around talking. I don't think Joe Biden's talking Mandarin. Do you? No, I would so assume. Jing, so you would assume that Xi Jinping knows English. Probably, probably, because so, he's probably a very well-educated man. Oh, for sure. But Joe Biden's also a very educated man. Is he speaking in Mandarin? No. And you could, you could argue that, you know, that's an important thing to, again, to be able to understand possibly the thought process that somebody else is having from a different culture. I still think that's why language could be important. So this is just another in the bucket of skills that are kind of an elitist high level language that we we don't seem to have. I mean, I only speak English, not even that that well, but it would be nice to know another language. I just don't have any desire to learn it. Well, and the author brings up the idea that being able to read cursive, especially on primary source documents, can give you more insight than just the words about maybe what kind of state the writer was in in terms of the shapes of the letters. Are there other blots of inks? Are there little things written in the margin? And it does make you wonder, are we sure this is a skill we just want to kind of throw away, especially when we have a relatively young nation when you look at the history of the world, and a lot of our documents were written in cursive by the founders and, and others after them. In fact, there are 20 states that then after the Common Core legislation was passed, they came back and then reinstituted cursive as something that must be taught in schools. And in the article, it just said, in 2016, Louisiana's state senators reminded their constituents that the Declaration of Independence had been written in cursive and cried out, America, as they unanimously voted to restore handwriting instruction across the state. What do you think, Don? I mean, Washington, Adams, Jefferson, these are people that wrote voluminous letters to one another, debating all the finer points of kind of the foundation of America. It's all in cursive. I know that somebody did type up their letters so that we can still read them. But is there something to be said that just from understanding who we are as a people, we should be making sure that kids can read this stuff in its primary form? Yeah, I'm not sure it's that valuable. And I was just thinking about AP US history. <laughs> I don't think that they use primary sources in the in the test that are in cursive. And whether it's all typed up. And so the same materials there, but if we're not requiring it there, where how are we going to require it for gen ed uh, fork and spoon operators? That's a really interesting point of you're right, like college courses, AP courses, they take a primary source and they just print it out so that people can understand it. Usually they'll even sometimes fix some of the colloquialisms of the language that maybe people were using back in those days to now make sense to a reader today, right? It's somebody who like takes Shakespeare almost and cleans it up so you don't have to have all the art and thous in there and stuff like that. And yet, is that really being a true historian if you're not trying just to physically understand it. Like in ancient history, if you want to be somebody that's in the classical studies, you have to go and know like 
cuneiform and hieroglyphics and all of these other dead languages so that you can then interpret the documents at their core, I guess you could say that we've already been making history instruction too easy for people. Or more accessible to more people so they actually do value the thing they're teaching. I think it's just making things more and more inaccessible to kids that are likely to be lower income, that are likely to have less parental involvement or parents that are highly educated just makes education inaccessible so yeah maybe we should just say goodbye to cursive and it is what it is it's something you can learn when you're a uh, second year grad student in history well the the author though goes on to kind of make this point that sort of goes against what you just said okay accessibility maybe this is better but is it possible that we are losing a connection with our past and as the author says thereby disempowering ourselves. Now, all of a sudden, we are reliant on somebody else to give us the original source. And now, all of a sudden, we've removed ourselves another step from the actual writing, the actual sayings. I'm always amazed because like every once in a while, it seems like there's a new translation of the Iliad or the Odyssey that come out. And all the people in the know get really excited of like, oh my gosh, look how this person interpreted it. I don't know. Is it possible that people are going to interpret cursive in a different way? And maybe certain words are, are written down when maybe that's not what the author meant. And again, we're one further step removed from maybe what Benjamin Franklin actually meant. And maybe the, the truth to humanity is there. And now we got to rely on some expert to read it to us. But that's exactly what happened in the 1770s. Is it some expert read it to us when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution? Almost all of the people in the country couldn't read it. And so what would they do? They'd take it to Newcastle, Delaware and read it from the state house. <laughs> You're right. I'm too lazy. I don't want to read it. Please read it out loud. And that's what they did. They'd take it places and read it to people. That was the town crier, right? Wasn't that the job that somebody had was to read the cursive out loud? Yeah, that would have been a good job for me. I have a big voice. I can read. That's true. That's true. Well, you bring up a good point because all I can also think about is of all of those years in elementary school learning how to write in cursive were also all of these years of a ton of failure my my second grade and third grade teachers would just have red ink all over the place as I botched words, made spelling mistakes, ran over the lines, didn't do the capital letter versus the, the little letter. I mean, go back, Don, and look at a capital letter cursive Q versus the lowercase Q, very different, and therefore a ton of failure and feeling bad about myself and maybe getting a bad grade in language arts all because I wasn't very good at dignified art, I guess you could say. And therefore, did we ruin a lot of uh, self-esteem during those years? Yeah, maybe it's people need to be leveled. I mean, think about in Japan, they're learning 20,000 characters and they have to paint them and draw them perfectly. And that's a huge part of primary education. And maybe that makes them better and better suited, or maybe it makes them miserable and not want to have kids. Their population is shrinking really rapidly. I don't know what it is, but it's got some effect. I don't know. I couldn't decide where I'm at because yesterday my daughter brought home a book that she received on calligraphy from a friend for her birthday. And my kids stared at that book and were working through it and trying things as if it was a book with magical spells in it. 
And they seem very intrigued at trying to draw the cursive. They were laughing at each other. It was almost though as if they were reading a horoscope, like kind of silly, kind of funny. You want to kind of analyze it, but you don't want to read a horoscope every day because it's just kind of like, eh, just sort of feels like work at some point. And I feel like maybe that's kind of what calligraphy and cursive sort of is, is something just sort of silly for kids to try and laugh at how old people used to communicate. Well, I think you come across something good there. If you want to know how to make magical spells, they are most certainly written in cursive. Yes, that's true. Using the movies and all those <laughs> witches have really good handwriting too. A really good cursive, I should say. Yes, if you want to be a witch, the Eye of Newt is never written in printing. It is always in cursive. <laughs> Eye of Newt. <laughs> oh, that's that's true. That's very true. Well, something I've always thought about as somebody who teaches ancient history, and I have a whole lesson on how writing began uh, that students kind of look through. And basically the beginning of writing started in these like clay tokens that humans were kind of smashing together to try to represent real objects on earth. And then these tokens sort of became understood as like, you now have four sheep. Here's your four tokens to represent that. And then eventually humans start having like pictograms, right? And pictures that they were sort of drawing on clay tablets. And eventually we get to cuneiform and then eventually alphabets. And now we're, we're off and running on how writing happens today. But it's made me wonder about the world of texting and phones and especially emojis and how we're back to now, like people just sending a smiley face to say, sometimes a sentence or an entire paragraph in response to maybe a question or something that somebody else said to them. Do you think we ever get to a point where important documents just have emojis on them and we don't even write out the full sentence? Probably. I mean, Twitter's important and it's of record. The Congress is trying to use Twitter to investigate the former president. I mean, it is uh, it is certainly something that has value and is something that's going to be conveying a lot of meaning. But I think you're missing something on your lesson. I think you need to, the follow-up assignment needs to be do the history of emojis, do the history of memes. How do we convey uh, meaning now? Compare and contrast to the uh, original style. The kids would love that. I usually make them try to compose sentences in only emoji use. And it's always uh, kind of interesting. Like I'll say, I went to Costco and bought bread. And I'm amazed at the number of 12-year-olds that can actually compose a sentence in emojis only and the number of 12-year-olds that can actually decipher it. Now, they might not be able to say Costco, but they can say, I went to store and bought bread. And they can actually read it to each other. And that's kind of impressive on its own right. Of course, you're already ahead on this. But yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. However, you do bring up a good point of, okay, so while we mourn the loss of essentially a dying style of communication, it does make me wonder, do we spend enough time in ELA class thinking about the world of Twitter and how people realistically communicate, which is through memes, through emojis, through weird spellings uh, or abbreviations of words and words. And it's all like conglomerated together around a cat playing with a ball of yarn. And yet it means a lot of information to people. 
And in uh, the Times this morning, there was an article about TikTok and the language that's used within there, because it's different than language using other places, because they're afraid that they'll be banned for saying something on TikTok the way they want to say it. So yes, there is new. Maybe we need, do need to think about that. Of course, it's also good to read Lord of the Flies. Uh, and are you referring to the idea that Piggy, the kid with the glasses, is the one that they were going after? <laughs> no, I just, I just like Lord of the Flies. Ah, okay. I, Lord of the Flies is a great book. In fact, my favorite part of that book is at the end, the kids are rescued by a military battleship. Yes. Self-civilization. The... But that battleship is going to go after to go kill other people, theoretically. And therefore, who's really the good guys? The captain of the battleship is doing, what are you kids doing out here trying to kill each other? Get in the ship. Let's go try to kill some people. Yes. Yes. And I don't know how do I connect that back to cursive at all, but uh, <laughs> I read that book in print. So I, I don't know. Maybe it means more in cursive. Uh, yes, it probably does. Hey, I say we go cursive day, Zach. We should have a day. We can, I'm sure there's a word font where we can convert things to cursive and just see the sink and swim, see who lives and who dies. Or the answers it... to the test are in cursive and on the test. And you must write in cursive. Oh, that'll just, that, that won't happen. This won't work. But I think it would be great. Who can survive? Who can figure it out? Maybe you got kids going on to like watch YouTube videos of people making cursive things and Maybe we would all learn a ton if that was the necessity, right? I mean, think about it. If you got dropped into another school in another country that that spoke and wrote in a different language, and they're just like, this is how you got to solve it. I'm sure you could get desperate real quick, and I bet you you could probably figure out how to write pretty quickly. Yeah. I like this idea. The only other thing I would add besides cursive day is musical day. And what I mean by that is you're not allowed to talk. You have to sing everything. And if you have questions, you got to sing them. If you want to make a statement to your friends, you have to sing them. I truly believe we would have more world peace and fewer problems if everybody had to sing all their communication to each other. Because I just think everybody would be smiling more. Yeah, that probably would make people happier. Uh, it wouldn't make people very happy in my room. I'm just a terrible singer. That's okay, me. though. That, that's why people would be happier. I think they go, oh, at least Mr. McLaughlin was trying to sing. Kevin Kopech can freestyle. Our good friend, Mr. Kopech, would be solid in this. Yes. I wonder if he knows cursive. I'm sure he does. <laughs> he probably knows cursive and Latin and something else, too. That's true. He is a very smart man. Well, I don't know. I, I just thought it was an interesting essay brought up uh, about kind of a fascinating topic that I you just don't see many people think about. And yet every once in a while, you do come across either cursive writing or people sort of making fun of the fact that somebody just wrote in cursive. And I guess, what does it all mean? Probably sound and fury signifying nothing, but yet it does, I guess it should at least be acknowledged that a major shift is happening. And once again, just like you and I can remember a world where there was no internet, you and I can also remember a world where it was really important to write in cursive. Absolutely. The, maybe we need an antiquated skill Olympics and we'll have a decathlon, dial a number on a rotary phone, write a note in cursive. What else can we add on there? I'm trying to think what would be other skills that that's really good. How about wait patiently until your family comes home because you don't know where they are and don't freak out. 
<laughs> find your way to a place you've never been using a map. <laughs> That's true. Stop go, at a gas station and ask for directions. Go to a bank teller and show them your balanced checkbook <laughs> to tell them how much you have. <laughs> I like this, Don. This could be something. I like this. This could be like our first <clears throat> event that our our podcast uh, supports that that maybe would get get worldwide attention. I'll I'll start. I know where I can find a rotary phone. Our Michelle's <laughs> uncle's got one in his basement. I can get the rotary phone, and uh, we could get the cursive writing patch. I mean, we we got to assemble our contestants, uh, and then we could have some. <laughs> it'll, it'll, this would be a lot of fun, and we could have multi generations. We can put my 15-year-old against your uh, eight-year-old and see how they do compared to us and our parents. There's a lot of possibilities here. Our first vlog. <laughs> oh, well, Don, it's been a pleasure talking with you this week, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely, Zach. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye.